Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Man on the Post World Cup special podcast. It's day five. I'm your host, Ryan, and I'm joined by Chris. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. The problem with doing this is, and me hosting, is I can't see you because I didn't do the video podcast, so now I can't say anything about your room. We're not allowed to anyway, are we? We're no, we're not. We're... Ross timetable. Yeah, Ross has made it crystal clear that you can't go on tangents, you can't, you know... <laughs> do video conferences or anything like that and i'm also joined by james good evening fellas how are you very well thank you how have you enjoyed the football today obviously no spoilers because we'll get into it in a minute but you know three good games on today yeah i did enjoy it today i thought all three games had something to offer and uh, great fun well that's good i hope you expand on that in a minute and don't just say they were great fun because that's going to make this a really (laughs) short podcast uh, keep, <laughs> don't, don't worry, I, I will expand, don't worry. That'll keep Ross happy, though. Yeah, it would. What's the podcast today? Five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Two of those are music. <laughs> so we've got three games to cover. We've got Sweden, uh, South Korea, uh, Belgium, Panama, and Tunisia, England, which is obviously the one we're <clears> probably <throat> going to spend the most time on. Uh, but we'll start off in chronological order because that makes perfect sense. Uh, Sweden won, South Korea nil, and because the goal scorer spent three years in Holland, James, I'm going to pass it over to you. No, no, yeah. James, James, pass it back. Uh, no, I'll, I'll run with it. Yeah, I am um, the goal scorer, Andreas Glangfist. He played for three years here in the Netherlands for mid-table side FC Groningen. See, even and, uh, even did the first name as well. I wouldn't have even done the first name. <laughs> That's he, brilliant. Um, he made, uh, I think, uh, uh, nearly 100 appearances for the club in three years. I think he's now playing for Helsingborg in his native Sweden. But I thought it was a it was a definite penalty, and I thought he tucked it away, tucked it away really well. Well, I was going to get uh, onto that. So, Chris, have, have you seen the penalty decision? Yeah, I watched the game. So what did you think of VAR in this instance? Do you know what? In real time, I thought, what on earth is he given that for? And then it was only when I saw the slow motion, which, you know, is what VAR is there for. Um, Mark Clattenburg criticised the referee quite a lot, though, in this. I don't know whether you guys got this in your commentary or not, but he was saying that from where the referee's viewpoint was, he was looking directly at the incident. So he shouldn't have been referring to VAR and maybe referees are beginning to rely a little bit too much on it. But surely the right decision was made. So surely, you know, at at the end of the day, regardless of how the decision got made... It, yeah. it was a penalty, and it was given as such. I mean, Mark Clattenburg isn't really the pinnacle of refereeing anyway, so I, I think it's probably a bit uh, ironic that he's he's you know chiming in at this point. I just hope he doesn't listen. <laughs> yes, you are. Hi, Mark. 
<laughs> terrible, <laughs> get, ter- terrible performance in uh, Chelsea Tottenham, but you know I think we've talked about that too much before. Uh, so, what did you think of the actual game itself? Uh, you know, obviously, yeah, the penalty was scored, scored in the 65th minute. I saw sort of most of the first half, and it looked a bit uh, scrappy, really. I think, I, I think both sides were going for the win. I thought the uh, South Korean goalkeeper Wu had some uh, made some good saves. And um, I think they were just kind of cancelling each other out at times with uh, nullified attacks and, and going quite close. And uh, Marcus Berdych also had a chance for Sweden in the first half. But I think um, I think Sweden just about shaded it. And uh, I, I think I championed, championed them on the WhatsApp group that we have because I uh, kept an eye on them in the qualifying because they was in the same group as the Netherlands. And they, uh, they've, and obviously they beat France at home, and they, uh, they knocked out Italy, and, uh, and gave uh, the Netherlands a couple of good games. So uh, there's definitely something about them, and uh, they've got a very good player who's called Emil Fosberg, who plays for Leipzig, and he's, he's an excellent player. So there's, there's definitely something about this Swedish side. I mean, they've got a great supporter in Zlatan as well, so you know you can't forget that. They mentioned Forsberg, because I listened to the first half in the commentary uh, on, the, on the radio in the car, and they mentioned Forsberg, saying how disappointing he was. Yeah, he, he, didn't, have the, he didn't have the best game, Chris, but he is definitely a threat. When you watch him, hmm. I, watched, I watched him play live in the, uh, in the last qualifier here in Amsterdam last October, when Sweden lost, I think it was 2-0. But he's, if you watch him off the ball, he does make some very intelligent runs indeed. Did we see what the Korean team did as uh, some subterfuge? Is this so? Is this where they swapped uh, the jersey numbers around? Yes. Yeah. So in, tra- in training, the story is that actually no, Chris, you explain it. No, you just explained it, Carol. No, 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 because I, this is it. You're sp- I, I'm the host. You've got to do all the talking. <laughs> um. Yeah. So in training, the South Korean players um they swap shirts. So any would-be spies from the Swedish camp wouldn't have a clue as to who. Who was who, or who, or why a particular player was playing in a certain area? Um, I thought South Korea did okay. I mean, I first went to South Korea in the World Cup in 1990, and they were literally cannon fodder, um, and they've come an awful long way. And I think they can consider themselves a little bit unlucky here. Um, I don't remember the Swedish keeper having to work quite a lot. I seem to remember a lot of um, crosses or balls into the box were dealt with quite well by the Swedish defence. But I think with a little bit more sort of guile, they can they can bag themselves. Four points from this group. Yeah, that's that's about right. If you look at the remaining games, I mean, it, from what I saw of it, the game couldn't really get into any sort of real momentum because there were just too many fouls, either from South Korea or from Sweden. But it was, you know, any time that sort of there was a break on, there was a, a trip, or there was just seemed to be a lot of time where there was like a couple of free kicks or anything like that. A few of the WFI guys, uh, James, I don't know if you saw this, but they were criticising this referee quite a lot. Um, I, I didn't see. Uh, I didn't get much of that through, to be honest. But um, yeah, I can understand with the uh, with the opinions of others, and obviously you need to respect other people's opinions. But um, yeah, I think um, I think the right decision was made with the penalty. Obviously, he didn't uh, didn't see it straight away and wanted to be double double sure. But um, the right decision was made in the end. Yeah, I mean, it leaves the, uh, Group F in a bit of an interesting uh, situation actually because you've got Mexico and Sweden who are both on three points same goal difference of one and then in respect Germany and South Korea both on zero points with a minus one goal difference I mean South Korea are they going to face a really uphill battle to stay in the group or to, sorry, to qualify for the next round 
I think so because who have they got next? They've got um, they got Mexico, yeah. Who are going to be on a bit of a high, aren't they? Because they did do very well yesterday, and then draw from that. Maybe then you then need three points just for four points against Germany. So yeah, sort of contradicting myself a bit earlier on. So realise who's group there. Yeah, it does look a bit of a forlorn hope for them now. Where does where does it leave Germany, James? In terms of I know we've only had one game uh, in the, well, two games in the group at this point, uh, but you know considering that. Two teams of one. Where does that leave Germany in terms of their qualification hopes? It leaves them having to win the next game. And if you look at the uh, the reigning champions of years gone by, France struggled in 2002, and uh, and then the reigning champions um, Brazil in 2006. And, and, and they uh, they just about didn't limped through and and, and was nicked, uh, was lost in the quarterfinals. Italy were the reigning champions in uh, 2006 and had a terrible World Cup and. Um, and yeah, so the the the, the rain and and Spain four years ago didn't get out of the group. So the moral of the story is, if you're the reigning champion, you struggle to get out of your group at the following World Cup. But I don't think such a fate will befall Germany. I think um, I think they may well end up second in their group, but um, I, I can definitely see them qualifying for the last 16 still. Well, fair enough. I mean, it's we're now moving on to sort of Group G, the England group. Uh, but up first was Belgium Panama. In the four o'clock <clears throat> kickoff here in the UK, uh, did either of you get to see this one? I saw a fair, bit, yeah, I saw a fair bit of it. Did you, is this local government time? Is it? <laughs> no, this is this was time. I saw. Well, actually, yeah, I was working from home, to be fair. <laughs> um, but I had to leave halfway through because I had to go and pick something up that the wife bought on eBay. So I saw um, the first half, and I think I sort of left just as. Belgium went on their scoring run. I think what I'd say about Belgium is they looked really, really good going forward in the first half. Um, Panama looked a bit meh. Uh, the man they talked, Ramon Torres, who they talked about quite a lot, nearly gave a goal away, uh, passing the ball back to his goalkeeper. And they could have had a hatful Belgium, could have done by the, sort of, by the end of the first half. I will say, though, there's a little bit of Belgium that reminds me of a flat-trap bully. Um, 3-0 against Panama is all well and good, but this team are obviously a fantastic team, but the manager, it's, you know, it's David Brent, isn't it? So, <laughs> you know, when they come up against somebody decent and a, and a decent and wily uh, manager, it'll be interesting to see how this team with that manager can outthink the opposition. But yeah, I, I, Lukaku scoring just reminded me of the fact that they could be a flat trap bully. Yeah, so the game was so Belgium won, yeah, three 0 against Panama and Mertens with a bit of a scorcher actually for his uh, for the first goal, uh, sort of on the volley to the back post. He's been doing that all season though. Yeah, well, it's good that he got picked and he can do it on the world stage as well. Um, and then there's a couple of clubs that were were apparently after him or looking at him, so I'm sure it's done his his stock uh, no end of good as well. And then Lukaku, who seems to be continuing to prove some doubters wrong um, by getting a brace. Uh, sort of a, I can't remember, it was the second one a header, and then the third was a nice little dink over the goalkeeper as the goalkeeper came rushing out. Uh, what did you think of Belgium, James? Um, I thought all three goals were excellent. And uh, Dries Mertens is another player with a past here in the Netherlands. He played for FC Utrecht and uh, made quite an impression. And uh, when I've spoken to many Dutch professional players here in the Netherlands that have played against him, 
they always mention about him being such a difficult opponent to play against. And um, I thought particularly for the third goal as well, I thought the acceleration from Hazard to get away and, and to go on to set up Lukaku, it just goes to show that he's got so much pace and his acceleration is so quick. But um, I also agree with Chris, I think the manager as well, when they come up against someone really good who can outfox them, um, I think um, I think they may well struggle. But you, you see there's definitely talent, especially in the spine of that of that team, you know, and, and Thomas Munier right back as a player I've rated for a long time. So be interesting to see how they get on in future rounds. Chris, would you say it's, it's a case of sort of too many individuals? I mean, they've always talked about Belgium as a, as a squad's always had a lot of hype and potential with it, but do you think it's potentially a case of there's too many individuals in that squad? No, I think there's a really good team in there. Um, I mean, you look at the players... Today, they uh, seem to gel quite well. Um, and you look at some of the players that they got on the bench, that, that it's frightening, really. If, you could, if you're a team that's got Rajan Nangmiland behind and has Yuri Tielemans on the bench, you're a very, very good team. I'd say they're more than a group of individuals, but you've got to carefully manage this team. Um, Kevin De Bruyne has come out and made a few comments. He went about Martinez's managing. I think we've all seen the clip of him going straight through Adnan Yanazai. Um, and if you Google... Belgian love triangle uh, and football, you'll get an interesting story there as well. So, you know, it's it's a team that's not without its cliques. I think James might know a little bit more about this than me. But in the past, I think there was one of the sort of cliques within the Belgian dressing room was the, was the Flemish speaking players versus the rest. Um, and it's whether Martinez can keep that under his control as well as trying to outfox opposition managers. I think that's the, the biggest problem he faces. I think that's a very good point about the Flemish speaking and the French speaking, you know, because they obviously they're, they're bilingual and, and everyone can speak two, langu- two languages at, um, at um, to an extremely high level. But obviously, in the case of Yang Vertonghen, who was playing here in the Netherlands for many years with Ajax, of course, he can predominantly speak Dutch. And uh, it's about a dressing room where everybody comes together. But you saw with the uh, with the goal from Lukaku that he embraced all his teammates to come towards him and all celebrate together. So there appears to be uh, a certain amount of togetherness in this squad. But uh, I agree that the main ingredient going forward for them for main success is, is definitely the manager. I mean, it's interesting. They they dominated the game. Panama um, sort of only sort of managed to get two shots on target, seven overall. Um, but Belgium came out 62% possession, uh, 15 shots, six on target for them. I mean, they they did look like a good side. I mean, is it too much stock to put on the fact that it is Panama? You know, is it or is that is that unfair to say about Panama? Would you say who looked a good team? Panama or Belgium looked a good team? Uh, Belgium. Uh, yeah, they did look a good team. Um... And uh, yeah, this is this is really last chance saloon for this round of uh, of players, isn't it? You know, Kevin De Bruyne's and uh, Eden Hazard's. It's it's really their last go. Uh, Dries Mertens is thirty as well, so they have to succeed. But I don't think the onus is on the players to succeed. I think if the players, if the team fails, it will be the fault of the manager rather than the players. Um, and if sort of stories are to believe they only picked him because he was cheap, then it will be the fault of the Belgian FA, and it will be a crying shame if, for the fact that some people wanted to save a few quid, Eden Hazard doesn't progress far in a tournament. Well, yeah, that's a very good point. I think you know Martinez has, has definitely got a bit of a history, hasn't he? Um, and it's just weird. Every time I look at the Belgian squad on paper, you think there's so many talented players there, and you always expect them to, based on that to go further than they actually do and 
yeah, he always seems to to be the manager that's at fault, maybe not the players. Well, they hamstrung last time, weren't they, by, by Mark Wilmots? Yeah. Um, and it was a very, very divided team that uh, against him, wasn't it, last time? And you kind of hope that that they do right by getting their decent manager through this time. And I like Roberto Martinez. He's there's a good there's a coach in there somewhere rather than a manager, and I think that's the difference between him and going, you know, Belgium going far, far in this tournament. Yeah. We going to say something, James? Sorry. Uh, I think it's very. Uh, I think Chris made, made a very good point about Vilmots, but in the case of Vilmots, he gave certain players far too much freedom, to the detriment of others. In terms of uh, even giving Nangalang the uh, opportunity to smoke his cigarettes after games and, and all the privileges that you have in an international setup, I think that uh, the the rivalry of the Flanders and and, and French speaking uh, um, differences, I think that was uh, he kind of heaped. More oil on the fire, Vilmots, with his uh, with the way about going about his business. So that that didn't really help. And obviously, in the case of Martinez, not speaking French or Dutch, obviously he's not going to understand those uh, those rivalries. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens going into future rounds. Yeah, well, sort of, you know, finishing off uh, that group then, Tunisia one, England two, uh, which was a bit of a shock actually. You know, going into the last five minutes so uh, England t- took the lead after 11 minutes with Harry Kane that player that plays for that terrible team uh, in North London and and then Tunisia got the goal back from a well we'll talk about the penalty in a minute um, but a bit sassy uh, squad that one and then Kane popped up again in the 91st minute um, with another sort of headed goal from a corner routine uh, just a quick one on the penalty um, to either of you um I mean, I'm, my opinion is that it was quite soft, but what did you think? Definite penalty. I, I, I seem to be leaning more towards penalty than than not. I mean, what do you think, James? I agree. I thought it was penalty. If someone did that to you, Ryan, you'd be wanting a penalty. I would. Well, that's the thing, is is the argument that I think the BBC were very much on the agreement that you know, it was very, very soft. But the thought pattern is Walker's hand is in a very unnatural position in terms of why he's swinging it at that point. It is beyond me. So he's effectively the balls come in, the guys behind him. He sort of swung his arm round and he's, he's clipped him. Um, he's clipped the Tunisia player and, and the, he's gone down. And he's won a penalty. Um, there was a couple of arguments that England should have had a couple of penalties. Um, there was a Tunisia defender sort of wrestling Harry Kane to the ground on a couple of um, corners. But yeah, so you both say penalty. Then no sort of uh, no confusion no. or anything. Then no. No, Harry, the, the two on Harry Kane were penalties as well, and should have been. I don't know why they weren't given on far, but yeah, they should have been penalties. Well, that's a good. I mean, the far wasn't really used um, in this one, really, was it? I mean, it wasn't in, in the original penalty decision, but obviously it was the referee's choice um, first of all, anyway. But why were they? Why was VAR not consulted for the Harry Kane ones? Do you think? I don't know. Maybe the referee just didn't think it was a clear and obvious error, which I, I mean, think is the terminology for VAR, isn't well, it? Well, that's the question. Does the referee have to give the penalty first, or does he have someone in his ear that can say, actually, this, this needs to be a penalty or something like that? I th- Go on, James, sorry. I think it's uh, at the referee's discretion. And you see what what is interesting is obviously you have referees with diff- from different nationalities and obviously they have a different interpretation as to how exactly they want to use it and when they want to use it. And um, I think uh, at the moment it comes down to interpretation as to what the referee wants to do and what he wants to consult. 
And uh, obviously they have uh, people in that little room uh, in the stadium where they have all the screens and, and they're in constant communication. And every football fan, you want the right decisions to be made at all times. And I agree with Chris as well. The manhandling of Harry Kane in um, in the box for corners and, and free kicks, you know, and another referee from perhaps a different country would have uh, had a different interpretation and decided that he did want to consult far and the penalty would have been, been given. But I think... I think you'll see uh, referees get more comfortable with VAR as the tournament progresses. Well, yeah, that's sort of something that I think as VAR gets used more, I think it will become more common and, you know, the the delay will probably get reduced. Um, But, you know, it all worked out in the end. England obviously didn't get the the two penalties, um, but they they improved massively second half. How do you think England performed as a whole, though, Chris? Really well, actually. I was really, really impressed with them. Um, (laughs) I was getting quite frustrated with social media because we conceded that goal and people started to dump down again on England. And there was at least one journalist I saw that criticised um, uh, Raheem Sterling for smiling as he walked off the pitch at halftime. God forbid. Uh, these were. Uh, it's, I, I really like this England team. I can't remember liking an England team as much as this. And I can remember World Cups going back to Mexico 86. So they're, they're a really, really nice bunch of lads. And... Um, very, very. Uh, there's quite some talent in there as well. If Gareth Southgate can get the best out of them, they're accessible, they're uh, good, confident players, and they they need the backing of um, the media and they need the backing of, of the England fans. And I thought they did really quite well in the first half. They kept knocking on the Tunisian door. They missed a couple of chances. Fair enough, you know. There was um, there was one quite easy chance where someone mishit the ball. I can't remember who it was. Lingard. Um, Yes, that's right. It was Lingard. But we had a, quite we had a few decent chances. Lingard had the shot that hit the back of the Tunisian defender. Again, he nearly scored when he chipped the ball past the keeper and it hit the post. Um, to be fair to us, we kept pressing and pressing and pressing the Tunisian goal. The Tunisian keeper before he went off played well. Um, but we kept trying. That was the thing. We didn't retreat into our shells as much as I thought we would do. Um, we kept it positive and we kept probing. Harry Maguire kept making sort of forward runs with the ball. Um and we kept probing, we kept trying, and eventually we got our rewards. I think it was quite a deserved win. What do you think, James? Yeah, I think they'll be pleased to get over the line. But what I thought was telling, especially towards the um, the middle of the second half, was how often England struggle when they play against African teams. And uh, there was a period when it was, um, you know, in, in the second half where you're thinking this is going to end up a draw. And if you look at in the World Cups gone by against uh, Algeria and um, and even Egypt going back into 1990 when we played African teams, there's always been there's always been a, a, an element where you couldn't necessarily get over the line. In the case of Algeria in the 2010 World Cup, that was uh, that was apparent. And um, I just thought that, that the win was deserved in the end, but they've got to take they've got to learn the lessons of game management going into the lap stages if they do get past the uh, the group stage where you're going to ha- come up against teams that have got more nous about them and uh, for example a free kick and um, a corner in injury time uh, and a team is going to know how to set up uh, to man marking to to avoid conceding a goal so uh, be very interesting I mean there, there was a couple of key points that I sort of saw and a couple of people mentioned that the reason we got the goal was was because Harry Kane wasn't taking corners uh, like he was at the Euros, which, you know, I think is actually a very apt point, and I think it shows something. Um, 
And I think the second point is I think it shows how strong our bench is or, or how what good depth our bench has. Um, probably now more than it has slightly before. I mean, Rashford coming on added a bit of pace. Um, I thought that Loftus-Cheek came on and actually added something to that midfield, a bit sort of strength and a bit more pace. Um, he, he's sort of made a bit of a difference. What, about, what do you guys think? <coughs> um, I've seen people suggest Loftus-Cheek should start. Um, and I thought Henderson played well today. Um, and I'm not quite sure where I should be. Would you play him instead of Dyer? I don't know. Um, but to be honest, I'm... Uh, it was a really, really positive performance. They kept probing, they kept trying, and you can't ask for any more than that, can you? They, you know, they they were a team that. Yeah, do you remember Algeria 2010? And we just kept going and going and going, and you could sort of see the team retreat into themselves as we struggled to get that goal. And you could then, you know, the fans you could feel getting on the backs of the players. And then Rooney came out with his comment as he walked off the pitch. Hmm. I did. I didn't feel that from the fans I mean I could sort of feel it on social media a bit but I couldn't feel that from the fans in the stadium at the time um, tonight and I, I don't know whether that made a difference or not well that shows something doesn't it in terms of I think the England players have probably I mean Southgate said you know if we go far we go far if we got knocked out we get knocked out and I think going in with, with a less amount of expectation I think has helped the players significantly and you know we are a young, we're the youngest squad aren't we I believe so you know we, we're going in there with a, a young bunch of guys and you know some of it is their first tournaments or, you know, they didn't get much game time at previous tournaments. Um, so, you know, it's a different setup to what we used to um, as, a, as a nation or as a going into into a World Cup. So it certainly leaves a lot um, a lot of questions. But I think, you know, you're right, Chris and James, you're in very positive performance. And it sets us up well going forward. So, I mean, obviously the, the group's pretty simple. Um, we're joint top with Bel- well, Belgium are top on goal difference with three goals obviously we've only got a goal difference of one uh, Tunisia and Panama both on zero points um, up next for England who's who's up next for England I don't have it up on my screen Panama Panama thanks James Panama, Panama on Sunday I must give a shout out to uh, Kieran Trippier and uh, Harry Maguire I thought they both did very well tonight in particular Kieran Trippier I think he's come on. I think he's come on leaps and bounds, uh, even from his Burnley days when they first debuted back in uh, in the Premier League. And um, he's just a very good player who's always wanting to. What I found really interesting about him is when free kicks were being set up, he was gesticulating to his teammates in terms of communicating where to put the ball and who's going to attack the ball. And I just thought, for a player of his of his age in his first major tournament, I thought it was very impressive indeed. Janice, the other thing as well, the players kept wanting the ball, didn't they? Yeah. Um, no one was sort of shrinking away. It, you know, as the game moved on towards sort of 90 minutes and the score stayed at 1-1, they didn't shrink into themselves. The players kept wanting the ball um, to sort of try and make that breakthrough. There's another another good thing for them and for Southgate as well. Definitely a lot of positives to take away, and I think that's the main thing. It'll be interesting to see how we get on on Sunday against Panama. I mean, uh, really, we're going to win the World Cup now, aren't we? Well... Yeah, I mean, that, that was, to be honest, there was a lot of people at my work today that were saying, you know, with all these other big teams getting draws or, you know, Germany not doing too great, Brazil not being too great, you know, people are saying, is this England's year? And I think it's a little bit too soon. Um, but it's, no, definitely, it's, <laughs> it's definitely the right result at this point. And I think the, the, <laughs> the manner of the win, you know, carrying on fighting until the final whistle, I think it's good, you know, I think one of the commentators said it's actually better that we scored late on rather than, say, at 60 minutes or something like that, because... You know, it's a big morale booster to get it at the end and to 
to feel the energy. Um, now on Ross time, we've got a couple of minutes left before our, you know we hit our limit of half an hour on a podcast. Uh, so we're going to do a quick uh, preview of the games tomorrow. Uh, you've got Colombia, Japan at one o'clock, Poland, Senegal, and Russia versus Egypt at seven o'clock. Quick, Chris, what's your predictions for Colombia, Japan? Uh, I'm going to go for a Columbia win and I'm going to go for a draw between Poland and Senegal. But interesting, I've listened to a few podcasts where people have said that this is the group they're looking forward to the most because it's so unpredictable. Yeah, Poland, as you say, are the favourites in that bit, you'd imagine. No, um, I wouldn't. Um, okay, well, we'll take Colombia, right? No. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, if you think, um, yeah, you've got Poland, got Glick, and then they've got um, Zielinski, and they've got. Uh, Lewandowski, Milik right? and Lewandowski up front Colombia again they've got a good spine but then you look at the Senegal team they've got a very good team as well and I don't, I don't think that is as particularly cut and dried as um, as people saying it's just going to be Poland and Colombia OK well that's it's certainly interesting uh, James what do you think about the Colombia, Japan and Poland Senegal game? Um, I think that Colombia will win and I also think that Poland will win I think uh, Chris made a good point about the players that Poland have especially Glick I think he's a tremendous defender He's a very underrated player, isn't he? Yeah, he's, I mean, the, the fact that Monaco got him for 15 million euros is an absolute steal because he's got experience not only in his, in his own country, I think he played for Lech Poznan, he also played for Torino and Serie A, and he's just, his timing and his anticipation is marvellous. And I think he's a very underrated defender, and um, I think, obviously, they've got goals in Lewandowski. I'm also looking forward to Colombia with Falcao's first. Uh, World Cup and also in Perdicaman, the old man, old manager of Argentina, he's he's a very wily, strong-headed manager who knows what he's doing. And uh, I thought they were uh, Colombia were unlucky four years ago when they played uh, Brazil. They had chances where they could have lead. And I, I think um, I think there's more to come from Colombia in this World Cup. Um, I've just done a quick Twitter search because as you talked about Glick, my sort of brain tweet. Um, I think he's injured. He the, the the latest reports I heard was in training he attempted an overhead kick and that went and he felt he felt awkwardly Brilliant. and um, and there was <laughs> there were scans on his shoulder but as far as I'm aware he's still gone with the squad to the World Cup I did I didn't read, I didn't read any reports that he didn't go okay there was um, Emerson in 2002 for Brazil who was their captain who um, was ruled out of the World Cup because he injured himself messing around in goal. <laughs> it's always good when uh, you hear stories like that, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, wasn't there, there was one obviously I can't remember who it was now. Um, player, I think it was a Real Madrid player who who had to um, back out the team because he uh, got a zit on his leg after shaving his legs or yes. something like that. So it's always good to get uh, you know random excuses or random injuries before an event. Santi uh, Canizares uh, dropped a, an aerosol bottle on his foot and ruled himself out the World Cup as well. <laughs> Brilliant. And what quick ones? Uh, what do you think about Russia and Egypt? The final game. Uh, Salah, is he fit? Russia, are they doing drugs? Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I was an Egyptian footballer, I'd be drinking bottled water tonight and um, not eating food from the <laughs> kitchen. I'll be making sure the food I eat is being made by myself. So if Salah's fit, what, what are you saying, Chris? Salah's fit, Egypt's going. And to be honest, I think if if he's not fit. I still think they could win. Okay, James. I think Russia are going to win this one. I think Egypt have been uh, have been winded by not getting at least a point at Uruguay. 
I think Russia will be bored by their 5 0 win against a very weak Saudi Arabia. And um, I can see that uh, my prediction is that Russia will win this game, maybe 1-0 or 2-1. And Although um, many, many people talk about Mohamed Salah rightfully because he's the best player of Egypt, although he got relegated this season, I think the, the West Brom defender Hegazi has got something about him. Yeah. I think if you put him in a better team at club level, you'll see him uh, you'll see him perform better on a regular basis. Well, that's that's all for today. That's uh, day five of the World Cup all wrapped up for you in in about thirty minutes. We've gone slightly over, but Ross probably won't Brian. mind because I'll be editing it anyway, so it'll be fine. He won't mind. Everyone else has gone slightly over anyway. Uh, so, Chris, if they want, if people want to complain about Sterling smiling at you on Twitter, how do they do that? At C. Etchingham 77. And James, if people want to ask you about players that have played in Holland randomly, how do they contact you on Twitter? They can contact me on Twitter at, at James Rowe NL. My Twitter handle is at the Ryan Goodman. Man on the Post is the Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. We, I don't think Man on the Post has got a Snapchat or anything like that because that would probably be a bit too much. We barely use the Instagram, let alone anything else. Uh, Man on the Post is the website. Uh, you can subscribe through Acast, iTunes, and anything that does podcast services around the world. And if you download, if you subscribe, you'll get it coming into your inbox. And we're doing these every day, so I'm not sure who's doing the podcast tomorrow. Um, obviously, they've got a couple of games. They'll be reviewing the games we've just previewed. And always remember to keep your Man on the Post. 